Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I'll give you a minute to turn there. The Lord spoke to me on this thought, turning your home into heaven on earth. First of all, I need to make a declaration and say that your home should not be hell on earth. That was a weak amen. There it is. He was nervous about saying amen too loud next to the person you're sitting by. But God wants to turn your home into heaven on earth. And as you know the principle that if you bind here on earth, it should be bound in heaven. Jesus gave us the keys and said you have the keys to the kingdom. And if God gives you a key, it's to open up something, not for it to remain locked. If I need finances and I've been a tither, and I've been a tither, (laughs) I have a key to a window he said he had opened up over my house. And he'd show me where provision is. But it's not just provision, but when you see a window in the spirit, it's always for another dimension. God's trying to take us into a dimension. Amen. And so God wants to open up heaven over your house so that it becomes heaven on earth. If you like the person sitting next to you, just tap them on the shoulder and say, we need this word today. If you don't like them, elbow them. Elbow them real hard until they say, ouch, and need to come to the prayer line. (laughs) I just want to make you aware that you're in a participatory church this morning because some of people will be like, I don't like it when they say that. Well, you're here. So uh, whatever happens, um, you're here. But I heard the Lord speak to me about turning heaven, heaven into earth, and he showed me in Scripture, and I want to take you on a journey to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Thank all of you that are students of the Word and have your journals open and your Bibles open. And those of you that were here on Wednesday night for the midweek service, thank you for being part of the teaching and training that's taking place. Midweek is the highlight of the week. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, you read 1 Samuel, then it's followed by another book called 2 Samuel. I'm waiting on you. Amen, church. In 1 Samuel, you hear the story of a lady by the name of Hannah who is desperate to have a child. And there may be some of you here today that you, out of desperation, have cried to God and you've tried every measure Hannah was like that. She was mocked by her fellow sisters who made fun of her for the fact that she could not conceive. And in that day, if you could not bear a child, it did not look good and go well with you, not only because you could not bear a child, but it also dealt with your lineage and your inheritance. And you needed a child in order to uh, be set up for the rest of your life, so to speak, generationally and with inheritance and to be protected, to have a name over you. And so Hannah is so desperate for a child that she comes to the church, if you will, and she kneels down at the altar and she starts talking, but nobody could hear any words come out of her mouth. And they thought she was drunk. And so the Bible said that they marked her mouth. In other words, if you follow the history of scripture and you dig deep enough, you'll find that somebody came up and slapped her because they thought she was making a mockery of God. Can you imagine you're so desperate for something from God that you come to the church and you get slapped? 
Somebody say, I've been to that church. <laughs> oh, Lord. She got slapped, so to speak, but she said, it's me. I, I'm hungry. I want God to give me a child. And the Bible said that it was spoken over her that she would conceive. And so she comes back, and in nine months she has a child, and after she weans him, she's true to her promise that she had said to God, if you give me a child, I'll bring him back to you. She does just that, and she brings him to the church. Can you imagine you wanted a child for so long you finally get him. He's in his infancy time. Maybe he's out of diapers. We don't know. It's kind of like that one-year mark and maybe two years. It depends. And she brings the child back and gives him to the church. Now, I just want to say for anybody that's trying to give babies away, <laughs> we have agencies that can help you. And, uh, but please, if you want to give us a baby, we'll take it and make sure that God gets the glory in that life. Amen. Whew, why did I say that? I just felt that. I just felt that for some reason. She brings the child back, and then God begins to raise up Samuel in the prophet's house, or the priest's house by the name of Eli, who had his own issues. He had two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas, who were renegades, rebellious, did all kinds of crazy, sinful things, and uh, he did not correct his sons. And because he did not correct his sons, God dealt with him. You better take care of your children. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was the priest, and Samuel was raised up under him. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Look what the Bible says again. The word of the Lord was rare. In other words, it was sparse. There wasn't much revelation coming forward. It had been a long time since they had heard a word from the Lord. And when you haven't heard a word from the Lord presently or in your now, you have to remember what he last said to you. And go on the strength of that meat, that word, for as long as it takes till God issues you another word. By the time we end the chapter, in the last verse, in verse 21, if you have it, say amen. The Bible tells us that the Lord appeared again. Everybody say again. He appeared in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today, open up our ears to receive and hear that we might be a student of the word. Let this not be just another service and another sermon, but let it be changing to our life and somebody's future be altered for destiny. And God will praise you for it and everyone say amen. I want you to notice the connection in the relationship between God and his word. Look at verse 1 again, that Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word, say the word. word. What was it? It was rare. The word was rare. The word of the Lord was so rare that there was no widespread revelation. Today, people who are anxious for a word and are eager for a word and don't like the word they got will go to the internet to let a YouTube prophet or a Facebook prophet give them a word. And there's something that bothers me about this every day, a word on demand. This bothers me. It bothers me that you can just go to anybody and they have to conjure a word up for you. 
Because what happens in that scenario is that people start becoming dependent. Instead of reading their Bible, instead of praying, they start asking everyone else for a word. Do you have a word for me? Do you have a word for me? And they start believing everything. And it becomes a crock pot, a potpourri of sorts of just anything and everything being thrown at you just so that you can have the chill bumps and have a grasp of hope, oh, maybe this might be the word. And if I ever study my Bible right, that any time in the Old Testament that a prophet spoke, the Bible said that after they spoke, oftentimes they went into hiding. There, was this, there wasn't this everyday dial a prophet, get a word from everybody, go to every conference in town till you finally get the word that fits your desire. Sometimes God is speaking and he's telling you to sit down. He's telling you to wait on him. But we want to hear a word that says a new house, new spouse, <laughs> new Lamborghini. We want that word. And we'll go to every conference and have them pour every bottle of oil on our head until we get a yay I say unto you word that quickens us. The word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation. In verse 1, there's no word and therefore it seems like if there's no word, there's no presence of God. Then you go to verse 21 and it says, and the Lord appears. He appeared again in Shiloh. How does he appear? He appears with the word of the Lord. I want you to notice this, that where God's word is, he is. Anytime you can find the word of God, you will find God. Unfortunately, we live in a world that it has decided that we no longer crave the word of God. To function every day, we now read our horoscope and we read tea leaves and coffee grinds and whatever the witches are telling us and whatever the internet is telling us many of you before you ever get out of bed before you pray you are on your phone and you are checking your feed look over at your shoulder and whisper he's talking to you <laughs> we know it's true there's no need to lie or deny Rarely do we get up and put everything aside and just get on our face before God before the day starts because usually we've already hit our alarm 10 times and by then we're in a rush. And I don't have time to pray when I'm in a rush. And I believe one of the reasons that we don't see God answer prayer and move upon us in miraculous manifestation ways is that we have not taken time for his word. Wherever you find his word, you will find him. But because we don't value the, his word, and I believe it's one of the reasons we don't value his word is because we don't even value the words of one another. It wasn't long ago in our society that a man's word was his bond. You could sell property by giving your word. You could hire someone by giving them your word. Well, when that no longer worked, we had to go to a handshake. Now we'll shake on it. Some of you remember that day. 
And when the handshake no longer worked, now we have to draw contracts up by attorneys so that we make sure that the person we're entering into agreement with keeps their word. And so you have attorneys who are hired also to unfind a loophole in that contract so that you can get out of your rent you owe. It's quiet in here now. But the Bible teaches us that our word is our bond. And it's better not to give your word or make a vow with your mouth and cause your flesh to sin. If that's going to happen, don't even vow it. It's a word. A man's word is his bond. Now, a man's word is kind of like an American dollar today. It's overinflated and losing value every day. And it's difficult to understand the strong connection between God and his word because often we don't trust one another. And if I don't trust you, I have a hard time sometimes trusting God. Because if people have failed you, then you'll think God will fail you. But when you look at it from the Bible's perspective, in the first chapter of John, in the Gospel of John, John 1 and 1, the Bible said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you cannot disconnect God from His Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so there is no separating God from His Word. Where you find His Word, you find Him. You remember when Paul was instructing young Pastor Timothy, and he said, if you're going to go to the church and preach, he said, preach the word. Don't preach Dr. Phil. Don't preach Reader's Digest. Don't preach Oprah. Don't preach the inquiring minds want to know from the grocery counter. Preach the word. What did he say to preach? Why? Because where you find the word of God in the pulpit, you will find the presence of God in the sanctuary. The word of God has to come forth and God will even use the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. He'll use even the foolishness of preaching to build his church. And the Bible said, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, they labor in vain. My question this morning will resound in your ear. How does your home become heaven on earth? May I say to you that your home has to be built upon the Word of God, not upon lust, not upon some app, not upon some dating program, not because you are in sexual perversion with someone, but because you have built your home upon the Word of God. Because where you find the Word of God in a house, there you will find hearts and lives that are filled with love and are filled with joy. I asked, how do you fill your home? And may I also ask, how does your business prosper? I believe that businesses prosper not just based on our economy, but let me speak to every business owner. I believe businesses prosper when you put God first in your business and he's the one who is the bottom line in your life. 
That's when he opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing upon you that there is not room enough for you to contain it or receive it all. And some of you may find it difficult to put trust in the words of people. I know that I have because people will fail you and people will let you down. But you have to understand that this Bible that I hold in my hand is not just words. It is not words of a talebearer. It is not words of mystery. It is not words that you cannot understand. This word came from the creator of heaven and earth. This word has a promise in it like this. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God be true and every man a liar. And this word is not just simple language. This word is a two-edged sword that comes out of your mouth. I preached about it last week through prayer and praise. You can slice and dice the enemy of your soul. I'm so thankful for this word. It protects me. It provides for me. It guides me. It leads me. David said his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word will lead me through the desert of my days. His word will keep me when I cannot keep myself. When I hear disturbing words in the world and the newscast and all of that, I have to go back to this word. What does your word say, God? And God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way even to the end of the world. This word says uh, that if God before you, can't nobody be against you. This word says, I will hide you in my pavilion. This word says, I am a stronghold in the day of trouble. This word says, I'll set a table before you in the presence of your enemy. This word says that he brought me up out of a horrible pit and he established my coming in and my going out. This word says that he'll keep me when I cannot keep myself. This word declares to me that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever and it shall not return void. His word is navel as a strength to my navel and morrow to my bones. That's what this word is. And if you need to find supernatural strength, open up his word and let the promise come alive. If you need God to show up in your finances, open up his word and read his promises. If you need God to appear in your home, read every promise of God keeping you and where his word is, there he will be. Tell your neighbor, say, I need his word. Do we want God to appear in our nation? Then become the kind of person that puts more faith in this word than the fake news that you hear on a daily basis. Everything that is being pushed and marketed in our world today is being pushed and marketed through fear. Everything that the world wants you to accept, they want you to believe if you don't do what they're telling you to do, you are not only harming yourself, you are harming your neighbors around you. They said if we sat in church during COVID, we were handing out death sentences. That was a lie. Because while we didn't go to church for a few months, except online, we had no problem going to Walmart. We had no problem getting together with our parties, with our BFFs. Nobody wants to amen me. 
we did what we wanted. Because we are a people that don't do what people tell us to do. We do what we want to do. Elbow somebody real close to you now and say it's getting hard in here. Because we do what we want to do and dare anybody to tell us any different. Preach in there, Pastor. I want you to know they lied to us on more than one thing. We did our best and we gave it to God and let him do the rest. But we come out on the other side and found out it wasn't all they said it was, although it was something. But we've got to keep this in mind. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear but power and love and a sound mind. And two weeks ago, Sister Angela Rogers stood on this stage and told you that she was on a ventilator for 26 days. They said she was dead. They called her grandmother and her family and said, write the obituary and make the arrangements. But God said, cancel the funeral. She's gonna live. My God, I'm telling you, when the word of God gets on it and the word of God is clear it don't matter what anybody says if God's word says it's free it's free if God's word said it's gonna happen somebody declare it's gonna happen sister Rogers give God praise right there she refused to swallow the peer of pill of fear. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and a love. Somebody shake this woman of God's hand and declare that healing is for you as well. <laughs> you got to remember what God's word says. I'd be careful what I said during those times because I knew that among us people were afraid. And I wasn't going to put you on blast. I was afraid myself. People didn't want to. I remember when we had just got back from uh, uh, our wedding anniversary. We'd been in Florida. And on that trip back is when the news came out that everybody started getting scared about COVID. And I'm telling you that everybody had Lysol wipes and were shooting dirty looks. And this was on the plane. They hadn't had no mandates, no one out, but it was just in the news. People were stinking eyeing one another. We got back on like a Saturday, preached on that Sunday. After church, we went up to Longhorn in Avon, and this dear lady got caught, got choked on water. She had, had water go down the wrong pipe. Everybody thought she had COVID. She was choking, she was just coughing all over the place, and you ought to seen the way people responded to her, the poor lady. She got choked up on some water. But don't act like you ain't been suspicious. I know. I've used so much hand sanitizer. I'm all cracked up. During that time after AJ and Nina came to live, us, live with us, I'll never forget when AJ said, do white people use lotion? <laughs> and because I'm ornery, I said, no, we don't know what lotion is. <laughs> Bring me some of that lotion, you ashy self. Bring it on over here. We, did, we had the best time learning each other. Come on, somebody. 
God didn't give you the spirit of fear. The Bible says, look at verse 21, that the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by what? The word of the Lord. God appeared again. Say he appeared again. So if we read it right, in our natural mind, we would say if God appeared again, the question is, where did he go? The unique question here helps us to see the situation, but it really don't give us the answer. He appeared again, but it doesn't tell us where God went. And it's natural for us to believe based on this that he left. If he appeared again, my mind would think to lay on that he must have went somewhere, that he left. And yet, how can he go somewhere else when the Bible yet says that he's omnipresent? That God is never not somewhere. He is everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Hebrews tells us that concerning Jesus Christ that he would never leave us or forsake us even to the ends of the age. So we know that God is always with us. So how can that tr be true? And these words fit that the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. The Lord appeared again. Say it out loud again. When, we, when they said the Lord appeared again, that was their way of describing the reality that they now once again sensed his presence. So you have to understand God is immovable. The Bible says in the book of James that in him there is no shadow and no variation of turning in him. So if you are seeing God who is omnipresent and immovable and you are not seeing God in your present situation... That the thing that has changed is not God, it's you. And people say, I want to see God in my life. But the truth is, they put on spiritual blinders and they can't really see all that God is doing now. And it's not that God is hiding from us, it's that our vision has gotten cloudy and our soul has become distracted by everything that is in this world. I would ask you, what clouded your vision? I would ask you, what blinded you? For some, they would say, you know, Pastor, it's fear that blinded me. Some would say greed or doubt or worry. Some would say temptation got in my way. There's a million things that can turn your head from the left to the right and cause you to miss the focus of God Almighty. But I promise you one thing, church. He's not changed. He is yet where he has always been on the throne. He has not lost power. He has not lost, left the zip code. He is yet where he has always been constant and immovable. And he changeth not. Hallelujah. I will prove it to you by Scripture. Go to Joshua chapter 18 and verse 1. And in this passage, the children of Israel are assembled together and the Bible said that they built a tabernacle in a location called Shiloh. Look at the verse. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle for meeting there and the land was subdued before them. So where did they set this tent up? In Shiloh. In 1 Samuel 3, in verse 21, look again. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Where was he the last time they saw him? Where was he when they showed up, when he showed up again, where were they? Shiloh. Guess who didn't go anywhere? 
What happened in the hundreds of years between Joshua 18 and 1 Samuel chapter 3 is that the nation of God had drifted away from a God who is never changing. He didn't move, they moved. It makes me chuckle sometimes when people say, you know, you know, I just don't feel like I used to feel. I need to find another church. I'm not being fed. He is the same God. And as much as I value the revival in Kentucky, and now it's springing everywhere. Oh, I say, God, do it again, God. Pour your spirit out. And if God allows, maybe I'll be able to go and be a part of something and see God do something historically. Here's what I do know is that God is omnipresent and he is everywhere at the same time. The same God that is in Kentucky is the same God that is with us here in Indiana. Somebody ought to give him a Hoosier praise. We come to praise God because he is God. We experienced him in this first service. People were healed of their stomach issue, healed in their legs. We experienced him in this second service as people praised him and said, Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe. It is not God who has drifted away, it is us. What is happening in the United States of America? Some would say that God has disappeared from our culture, but that is not true. We've drifted away from God in our educational facilities. We have drifted away from God in our classrooms. We have drifted away from God in the hallways of our schools. We have drifted away from him in our homes. We have drifted away from him in our pulpits. And now we're in a situation where we say, God, where are you, God? Why don't you appear, God? Why don't you show yourself strong in this situation? And the truth is, he's right where we left him. He is yet in the same place. If we want God to move, then we've got to get back to God. God. Geography won't fix you. That's why I tell people as much as I love sand between my toes in Florida and I take picture of every palm tree I see, I know that a palm tree is beautiful to look at, but it can't fix me. If I've got issues on the inside of me, it's not going to fix my marriage. It's not going to fix my, my bad attitude. It's not going to fix my itch in my seat and my pants and don't know what to do with myself. You've got to deal with that right where you are. Palm trees can't fix you. A new spouse can't fix you. A new job can't fix you. Come on, church. You've got to go back to where God is. Where is it? Where's the last time you experienced his presence? If we want our nation to change, we've got to go back to God. Ask yourself this question. Where were you the last time you felt God's presence? Where were you? Wherever that was, go there again. And he'll reappear. Why? Because he promised you he'd never leave you and he'd never forsake you. He promised you that he'd be with you to the end of the age. He promised you that he'd prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. David said, if I make my bed in hell, he'll be there. If I ascend to the highest mountain, even there the Lord will be. If you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord will be with you. 
His rod and his staff will comfort you along the way in the time of your trouble. He said he would be a refuge and a strength and a strong tower to you. If you're in a day of battle, he said, I'll not only be your shield, I will be your buckler and I will go before you. If you're going through a storm, he will calm the voice of the wind. He will calm the storm that is assailing you because he is your faithful father. He is a true God. He is a loving God, a kind God, a gracious God, a merciful God, and he's an awesome God. Give him praise in this house. That's who he is. So if you're looking for the Lord, then go back to what you were doing when you saw him the last time. And find that place where you were hearing from him. Were you praising? Were you in an excited moment and all of a sudden the power of God just go back to that moment and start praising him again. Offer him your heart as a sacrifice of praise. He said, well, pastor, you don't know what I've been through since then and now. A lot of water's been under the bridge. I, I've been through a lot. Well, if you were a praiser pre-COVID, yeah. you ought to be a praiser post-COVID. Yeah. Ask your neighbor, say, where'd you go? I was praising God pre-COVID. I was praising him mid-COVID. I praised him with a mask. I praised him without a mask. I praised him six foot from people. I praised him elbow in elbow distance. Amen. I praised him when we couldn't hug. I praised him when all we could do was give a fist bump and a knuckle and an elbow. I praised him when we just looked at one another and went, it didn't stop me from praising God. It didn't keep me from praising God. I didn't need this worship team to warm me up this morning. I came warmed up. I came praised up. I came into the sanctuary and I praise God. Let everything that hath breath praise you the Lord. If you were praising when you found him, praise him again. If you were praising him when you felt his presence the last time, then begin to praise him again. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He inhabits our praise. And I like this verse in Psalms chapter 8. It says that out of the mouth of babies, he has ordained strength that will silence your enemy. Do you know that even at the smallest baby that we have in Little Village, come on somebody, that even that little child begins to praise God, the enemy is put on notice that you cannot touch and you cannot mess with this one because hell shuts up when heaven shows up. You got to declare, I will not let the enemy silence my praise. If you need God to show up, in your health, then praise God that he is your healer and he is your way maker. If you need God to show up in the hour of your need, then realize he said, I shall supply all your need according to my riches and glory. David said, I was young, but now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. If you want God to show up in your doubt, despair, and depression, then give God a radical praise. You got to praise your way through. Where were you? Were you praying the last time you saw God? The Bible says, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Ask and you shall receive. And I believe the reason we don't see God in our prayers is because we've not asked. You have not. If you saw... If you were praying the last time you saw God move, then start praying again. 
James 5 said the effectual fervent prayer. Now, let me tell you what that's not. It's not when you go to McDonald's and you're afraid anybody's going to see you pray. So you sit down with your food and then you drop your napkin and say, Lord, thank you for this food. That's not the effectual prayer that avails much. 99.9% of your problems can be solved in prayer. Stay off of Facebook. Quit putting your emojis out there and your cleavage. And uh, fix, let God fix your problem. Somebody said, well, Pastor, that's kind of bold. You didn't come to hear Reader's Digest this morning. You watched worse than what I just said. Stop whining about your problem and start praying about your problem. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray in faith believing. Pray in the name that is exalted above every name. Pray in the only one that can conquer cancer, the name of Jesus. Pray until the windows of heaven open up over your family and your house. In that name, you can close every gate of hell. In that name, every assignment that was coming against you to try to take you out. In the name of Jesus, it has to fall at your feet. You can say the name of Jesus and defeat every principality and every struggle every yoke that needs to be destroyed can come down in the mighty name of Jesus that name sets people free it's not the name of Mohammed it's not the name of Baal it's not the name of any believer or any even even some selector uh, celebrity it is in the mighty name of Jesus Michael Jordan can't give me what I need Ron James can't give me what I need and I'm from Akron, Ohio so I like him but I'm telling you none of them can give me what I need it's in the name fist bump your neighbor and say it's in the name of Jesus pray in the mighty name of Jesus because that name never fails so the Bible says we have to pray in faith believing say in faith believing Faith and believing go together. Not pray in faith and doubting. Pray in faith believing. See, the example of that is they have to work together. It's like having a car, but you don't have the key. Faith believing. And in the first book of James, it says, the man who doubts shall receive nothing. I told you last week, I looked up what that word nothing means. You know what it means? Nothing. That's what it means. That if you pray and you doubt, you receive nothing. So you can't pray in faith doubting. You have to pray in faith believing. And there are some people who pray in faith doubting. And this is what that prayer sounds like. Lord, if it be thy will. Lord, if you want to. Lord, if you would touch my family member, if you could, if you would, if you should. Now, I'm not to come down on the Baptist church. I came up in the Baptist church. But I know enough to know, even of my Baptist brothers and sisters, who I came up under so I can talk about it, that they don't always believe that God will heal you right now. Now, some do. They would say things like, well, now, if it be the will of God to heal you, we're going to pray that maybe he will. 
we're going to pray that let's just hope against hope that God might touch you. Come on, somebody. Can I come down here where it's dangerous? Let, let's just pray and hope and, and just believe together that he might, if it's his will. It wasn't until we came into the word of God further that I discovered that it is always the will of God to heal. Somebody said, well, maybe God put cancer on you. Oh, no, no, don't, go, don't get me started there now. Maybe God will allow certain things, but God would not tempt you with sin, nor would he put disease upon you. He is not the author of disease and affliction. He is the savior and the redeemer and the healer of mankind. And God's not looking to strike anybody down and say, you're going to get what you deserve. That's not the God I serve. I've, I've been around church folk who, who have this theology when they see somebody, oh, they're just getting what they deserved. I knew God was going to catch up. I knew God. God don't get people. God is a healer. He's the savior. He's the redeemer. Quit telling yourself that you're just dealing with the, the, the wild oats of your past. If God has forgiven you, he took it and removed it as far as the east is from the west and it will never be remembered against you. You ought to praise God that God has already swallowed up your sin behind you. The devil can't get you. God's got you in the palm of his hand and God's going to keep you even to the day of redemption. That's the God that I serve. He's a keeper. He's a God that is true to his word and he will deal with you in love and in truth. People don't do that. And growing up in the Baptist church, they would say, if it be the will of God, I came to find out, even when it came into Pentecost, that God is a healer right now. That in the name of Jesus, you can lay hands on the sick and you can see them recover. I've seen God heal people right in front of me instantaneously. I know that this is the year of all and wonder. I know that God is going to perform miracles to them that believe, who come in faith believe. Not in faith doubting will. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. God is not the God of Kesara. He is the God of healing and divine touch. Woo! Somebody give God praise. Every time I get around Sister Rogers, I want to give God 26 seconds of praise. Where were you the last time you prayed and felt his presence? Let me ask you. Another question before I close here. The Bible says that we're to pray always. Pray always. Say pray always. Pray now you say, well, pastor, I hit my alarm 10 times. I don't have time to pray anymore. I do well just to get my Starbucks. and I can't be in church on time, but you sure saw me down to Starbucks in line. <laughs> Ooh, I'm preaching on myself. <laughs> I was running late, y'all. No. You were over at Starbucks again, weren't you? Well, you didn't have to call me out like that. You don't know me like that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We know you're like that. So we got to pray always. And sometimes you think, well, how do I pray always? Because how would it look if I'm at Kroger and I'm pushing the cart down the aisle and I say, Lord, should I buy this? Olive oil? Or should it be canola? <laughs> That's not what it means. Did you stop everything and cottonelle? 
Charmin. <laughs> no, it's not doing that. It's what he's saying when he's saying that you ought to pray always, it means that you are allowing God for constant interruptions in your life. So when I get up in the morning, I begin to pray and thank God for the day. Now let me explain to you what that means to have a constant interruption. If you go to the doctor's office and the doctor says, do you have a cough? And you say, yes, I have a cough. And then the doctor says, well, how long have you had the cough? And you say, well, I've had the cough for 10 days. You didn't tell the doctor that you had one cough that lasted for 10 days. So what you told the doctor is that your life for the last 10 days has constantly been interrupted by a cough. And that's what that verse means when it says praying always, that your life is constantly being interrupted by prayer. When you go to work, you walk in and say, God, I thank you for this job. There's an interruption. When you come home and you come home to your house and your clean sheets that are 30,000 stretched, you know, fibers and, and your wife has quilts that you're not allowed to sleep on. They're just for show. You say, thank you, Lord. I never, I didn't, well, never mind. When you sit and eat, you thank God for the food. That's an interruption. Amen. Everything you do, you allow God to constantly interrupt you and remind you that it's because of him that you can do all these things because without him, you can do nothing. Somebody said, well, I'm self-made. We'll see how long that lasts. If God snatched the air out of your lungs right now, you would realize how much you need him. So here's the last question. Were, were you giving the last time you saw him? Some people often wonder, well, where is God going to bless me in my life? And the Bible's very clear. It says, given it shall be given unto you. Proverbs gives us a stronger reminder. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Then the writer said, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits, and he will cause your barns to be filled with plenty and your vats to overflow with new wine. Now, the thing about these verses, it not only speaks of God's provision when we're willing to trust him, but it did not give us a market analysis about when we can trust him. And I mean that by saying it doesn't say trust in the Lord always with all your heart as long as the stock market is up. It doesn't say trust in the Lord as long as your IRA is doing well and inflation's at 2%. Then you can trust him and then you can afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. It doesn't give you any kind of economic indicators about when it's going to be convenient for me to now start trusting the Lord. The Bible says if you don't bring the tithe and the offering, this is not a Russellonian, this is a Malachi verse. He said that you are cursed with a curse. And you say, well, I see people, they don't tithe them. They seem prosperous. They're putting their money in a bag that has a hole in it. God says, trust me with a 10 and I'll stretch your 90. And there's more than that. It's for you and your children. It's an eternal inheritance. Trust. When you trust in him, when you honor him, 
He'll appear in all areas of your life. So you have to ask God, where are you, God? Were you praising him the last time you sensed his presence? Were you praying when you sensed his presence? Were you trusting him when you sensed his presence? And I'll close in Joshua chapter 18 and 1 and compare it to 1 Samuel 3 again. Because the time that Joshua 18 was written and 1 Samuel 3 was written, there were hundreds of years in between there. And some people wonder, number one, if God appeared again, then where did he go? Well, we've already dealt with that. He's omnipresent. He was always there. He's not the one that left Shiloh. The other thing that people ask is this, and I want you to write this down. What took God so long? And when I was praying this morning, this is what kept coming up to me. To end on this, because there are some of you here today that have been asking, God, what's taking so long. What took so long? In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says that Hannah brought Samuel and gave him to Eli the high priest and said, I made a vow and a promise that I would return him. Samuel would eventually become the priest. But more than that, he would become the prophet for the nation. And the Bible said he served his generation well. And you would look at him and say, Woo, look at the bishop. God is you, Samuel. Look at him. Prophesying. He's the priest. Look at God in the generations. But that wasn't his only purpose. The real purpose of Samuel's life was not just to be the high priest that people would go to and pray, not just to be the prophet who would judge the nation when they had no earthly king or the earthly king they had was no good. The greatest purpose for Samuel was to hear God say, now before you draw your last breath, and before your time here on earth is over, I'm sending you down to the house of Jesse to anoint a king. You've had this season of priesthood. You've had this season of prophetness. And I'm preaching to somebody, where is God? Why is it taking so long? And God said, your next assignment will be your greatest purpose. Write this down. God's timing is always centered around God's revelation of his king. God is not going to reveal himself strong to you until he's ready to bring the revelation of the king. Some say, well, that's a mixed bag, Pastor. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. We used to sing a song, we shall see the king. We shall see the king. Anybody remember? We shall see the king when he comes. He's coming with power. Oh, hail the blessed hour. We shall see the king when he comes. And God is going to reveal the king. We know it's Jesus. We know that he's about to step out and come and get his people. And your revelation is about to be revealed. And you've said, God, why so long? 
I, I look back at 2020. God told us it was coming, didn't he? Remember when God told us he gave us a word in this house? God told, told me the first day of spring. And I stopped the service and I asked people, what, when's the first day of spring? You remember that? And people started looking up on their Google and calendar and we came up with a date. Do you know it was right up on that is when COVID came out, launched out in the world. God prepared us with a word. I'm telling you, I've looked back to that moment and said, God, when are you gonna show yourself strong again? When at the Grammys, they will stand in transgender delight in the face of everything God calls evil and abomination and dare the church to say something about it. Nastiness, vulgarity, and we're expected to sit and wink at that and say, oh, you know, no, I don't know. When Beyonce's lyrics talk about taking a page of the Bible and using it as a tampon, and the church people, girl, she's coming to Chicago, you better get your ticket. Church people, sanctified people. Don't be talking about my Beyonce. Are you for real, real? Better get sanctified in this last hour if you want to encounter his presence again before the coming of the king. Church got to come holy. We got to become holy again. He didn't say do holy. He said be holy. Don't do religion. Be holy. Don't do rules. Be holy. It happens in your own. How do you get heaven to earth in your house? Go back to where he was when you first encountered him. Do you remember the song, Take Me Back? <laughs> to the first that I first received him. Take me back. I feel this for somebody. I want you to just stand to your feet if you will. Thank you for your patience today and your time. Thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere, but you were here today. God moves differently in every service. Sometimes we shout, sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we get upset. Sometimes the word cuts us. But as you stand to your feet today, there are those of you maybe that are in this place. I, I heard the Lord in my prayer time. You said, I want God's presence in my life. Some of you are desperate enough that you would say, I need him in my marriage and I need him in my home and I need him in my career. I can't even go home today, Pastor, if God doesn't touch me. And they, somebody in this place, you're fearful of even going back to your home. In Jesus' name, I speak strength and protection over you. Would somebody just begin to pray protection? Somebody needs that right now. Come on, pray it out loud. Pray, pray a prayer of protection. Call out on the name of Jesus. Don't let me be the one that's doing all the praying. Pray. Pray, saints, pray. In the name of Jesus. Come on, cry out. In the name of Jesus. Put a hedge of protection around that loved one right now that's fearful to even go home from this service. Show up in their life, Lord. Show up in their fight. Come on, somebody get earnest in that. I felt that so strong. That is for somebody in this second service. In the name of Jesus, no weapon formed against you will prosper. 
If a hand rises against you, I pray, God, cut it off. Cut the hand off. Take the hand in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 